okay? As you finally see, I want to respect time here because uh, my college clock is uh, ticking because on Tuesdays it was Chicken Tender Tuesday, and that was the day people were most like, it didn't matter who was speaking in that moment, right? Like it was Chicken Tender Tuesday, and the transfer line was going to be packed. And so I um, want to just respect time here for those that are in this room. Uh, Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be at here today. Mark chapter 9. And as you're turning uh, there here this morning, uh, just the title of my message that we're going to be looking at is called Tap Out. Everybody say, Tap Out. So we'll be looking at Mark chapter 9, verse 17 through 27. As you're turning there, Mark is found in the New Testament. It's one of the uh, the four Gospels, uh, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love how all these different spots, they just capture different vantage points of Jesus's journey. Matthew, for my business majors in the room, Matthew, he was about his business, right? You look at just the the lineage and the, uh, the, the history, the family history that he captures in Jesus. You could tell this man was a tax collector because he was used to going like, you, your daddy, your daddy's dad owes me money. Your dad owes me money. You owe me money. But he, listen, he was covered by the blood. He got saved. So you see with Matthew, he was a businessman. You see John was like your artist and captures a lot of the emotion in these moments when it comes to the, the journey, the mission of Jesus. And uh, Luke, he was your doctor. And then you look at Mark. Mark was like, I, I imagine Mark probably really loves like UFC, ultimate fighter. Like you look, the man, he like skips the birth. Of Jesus. He's like, we're just going to get right into demons being cast out, blind people healing. And this is the, the, the lens that we're looking at through the text that we're here today in Mark chapter 9. So we're just going to dive right in, once again, for the sake of time, because I believe God has something for us here at the end. And what you need to know about what Jesus and the life of uh, the journey of Jesus at this point, uh, Jesus has just fed the 4,000. A blind person was made, was healed and now could see. Uh, there was the moment of the Mount Transfiguration where Jesus uh, goes up and there's this just miraculous, epic moment. And And so Jesus is coming back down the mountain and all of a sudden there's this crowd, right? There's this crowd that's formed and there's just kind of this like this uh, this chirping back and forth between people in the crowd and there was uh, was screaming, there was crying, there was accusations or all these different things are going on in this moment. And so Jesus finds out that there was this father who had brought his son who had been sick. He had been possessed. And so Jesus is stepping into a situation that's already on 10. I don't know if you've ever like walked into a room and you're like, what is going on? Like you just, you feel like there's drama off the get-go, right? Like you walk in, you're like, I'm just going to leave. Because Midwest people, if you're from the Midwest, you're like, you recognize and smell drama. You're like, oh, I'm out. I'm out. I I can't do the conflict. No, no, sir. That's why we flip our paper plates upside down when we throw them away, right? We don't want to, we don't want to disrespect the hosts with our food. And so we see though, Jesus steps right into it, right? Jesus steps into this moment. And this is where we pick up in verse 17. So verse 17, in Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read from my paper Bible if that's okay with you guys here this morning. Okay, So verse 17, this is Jesus in this story. And so one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they could not do it. Now, there's a lot of emotion I think that we can capture and relate to here when it comes to the human condition, right? As a father, I look at this and my heart begins to break as a parent not knowing what to do to help your kid. Being helpless, just watching your son or your daughter struggle 
Some of you, when it comes to friendships and you get to those moments and you're watching your friends struggle, they're they're navigating a mental health crisis or there's all these different things that could pop up and you're helpless and you're like, I wish there was something I could do. And there's been moments also that when you see this father, he comes to Jesus and he says, I came to your disciples, but they could not help. Haven't we heard that before here recent where it's like, I've come to church and I've left more hurt. I feel like I came to church looking for this, but I found, and they begin to fill in the blank. But see, Jesus, in his grace and the patience and all of the goodness that Jesus possesses, he leans into this conversation. He leans into the situation. He doesn't begin to go around and walk away from it. He leans into it. And so Jesus says, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell at the the ground, wreathing and foaming at the mouth. What, put yourself, I know some people agree and disagree with methods like this when it comes to communicating, but lean in for a moment with you and put yourself in the position of the father in this moment, seeking help for your child, and in a moment where you're, maybe your hope's up just a little bit, all of a sudden, chaos ensues. This man's boy begins just tweaking out in front of, and for those of you that don't like public attention, this is in front of the whole crowd. And he's sitting there, this man, and I can imagine the father going through the thoughts, here we go again. Here we go again. But Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him to the fire or to the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. Help us if you can. You can hear the doubt in the father's voice as it's really the voice and the word and the verbiage of a father who has exhausted all human possibility. If you can. Nobody has helped us before. Nothing has helped. But if you can. And Jesus' response, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. I do. Help me in my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Isn't it interesting? As the crowd grew, Jesus was like, okay, we got to get this miracle going. A lot of times humanity, we're like, oh, let's wait till there's a bigger crowd. I want more people to see this, right? Look at what I'm doing. But Jesus sees the crowd growing. He's like, all right, let's get this miracle on the road, right? And he goes, he like, listen, you spirit, make this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. The spirit screamed, threw the boy into another violent convulsion, and he left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as, pe- as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand. He helped him to his feet, and the boy stood up. There's so much, and I love the Bible because there's so much you can begin to pull from the text, when it looks at what Jesus is talking, the stories and the moments that Jesus steps into. For the sake of time, I just have, for me, I I have just three questions I'm gonna ask you today. I love sharing questions because at the end of the day, you have to go back and wrestle with them, (laughs) right? It's not like, well, I didn't really agree with the structure and the four points and what they had. Well, according to what Dr. Graham had in his homiletics class, they need these three points and these four points. These are questions you have to go back and wrestle with. And the first question, and these are questions that, that, that begin to come out of this text, become, begin to come out of this story, if you will. And the first one, and, and here's why I like questions. Uh, the great uh, Holocaust author, Eli Wiesel, um, in his book, Night, 
says that men and women draw themselves to God through the questions that they ask. And it, it begins to illuminate that there's a safe place with God to bring your doubts and your concerns. That it actually, you begin to discover deeper parts of God's heart, his character, as you bring those doubts. But what we hear in today's culture, right, is like you can't take that to God. You need to keep that. You need to do you. You need to work on it yourself. But God's saying, hey, I am more than willing and capable to handle any of the doubts and concerns that you have. So the couple of questions I just want to share with you here today, I'm actually going to invite the worship team to come out right now because we're going to get rid, like I said, there's something I feel here at the response time that God's going to begin to do. First question, is there a lie that I'm believing to be true about God? Is there a lie that I'm believing to be true about God? Uh, growing up, my, uh, my wife, she grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, an Italian home. And uh, so when she was little, they went to Disney. And uh, she got this wonderful book full of Disney princess signatures. It was like one of those iconic things for her. And so we were back at her home a couple years ago, and she wanted to show our boys and, and myself this book full of princess signatures. And we're looking through it, and all of a sudden I hear this chuckle come from the kitchen. And I look back, and it's my father-in-law. And I'm like, what's so funny? He goes... Audrey, I have a confession to make. Those aren't the actual princess signatures. And she goes, what? He goes, I didn't, I didn't want to wait in line, so I just went to the back behind the bathroom and I just wrote down all the princess signatures myself. And the look of horror on my wife's face, like, are you kidding me? I, this entire time, I believe that Pocahontas signed this, that Cinderella signed this, that Jasmine signed this. Are you kidding me? He's like, no, I wasn't going to wait in line. I just went and got a pen and I signed it myself. And this whole time, my wife's like, oh, my, I feel like I have to rethink my entire childhood right now. Like, was this true? Was this real? Was this a lie? But when it looks back and it comes to our faith journey, there's so much that, if we're to be honest, there's a lie that we believe to be true. You see, there's a little picture I have behind me here today, and I just want these are things that when you begin to look at the lies that, to identify if you've believed a lie to be true about God. So a couple questions is, who am I? Right, what we've seen in culture now, right, there, there's, an, there's an idolizing of identity in self, identity in accomplishments over identity in Christ. We've seen it even now when it comes like, well, I identify this way sexually. I identify this way in gender. I identify this as an athlete, as an academic. God, if, if it's over God, it's an idol, period. That's where we start this conversation. Who am I? Because isn't it interesting that as you begin to believe a lie in who you are, that fruit reproduces fruit, even if it's not good fruit? What has God done? It's so interesting, faith amnesia, how quickly we forget who God is and what God has done. You look at it in the Old Testament with Joshua and that, that it speaks of one of the most heartbreaking verses in all of the Bible that said a generation passed that knew not what God had done. What has God done? And who is God? You see, there's so many times that for us as followers of Jesus, we could forget some of the most basic, personal, intimate details of our relationship of following Jesus. Who am I? I'm a son and daughter of God. What has God done? Everything. <laughs> really, what, God, what hasn't God done? I was talking to class this morning with uh, Pastor Sikorsky, and I said, it'd be harder for me to try to be an atheist than to continue to follow Jesus. I've just seen too much. I've seen too much goodness of God. Who is God? He's holy. He's good. He's better than any of the TikTok reels that, and YouTube reels that you've seen. 
He's good. And what I found is fruit, fruit reproduces fruit. It's interesting when I'm navigating with students when they're like, oh, I'm just stressed out. I mean, I, when I hear like even the stress and the anxiety, I'm like, do you believe, we're going to keep that up there for a moment. Do you believe that God has paid the price by sending his son Jesus? Do you believe God is a healer? Well, like there is, I would pray, but I'm just, what if it doesn't happen? What if God doesn't heal me? What if he does? What if the prayer that you pray actually bolsters your faith and then all of a sudden you want to start praying for other people and all of a sudden healing, God begins to use you to bring about healing in your community and your friend group. Who am I? What has God done? And who is God? These are questions that we we look at because at the end of the day, fruit don't lie. Fruit don't lie. And you look at the lies or the truth of what we believe to be about God. Two more questions, then we're gonna, I'm going to have everyone come up here in a moment. Second one, has my doing for God come from a place of being with God? Isn't it interesting that we can be so affirmed for the work we do for God, but never stop to spend time with he who formed us, who knit us together in our mother's womb? You got to learn to be honest. God, I need you. Has your doing for God come out of a place of being with God? I love what um, Rich Velotas says. He says, any doing on our part will only be as deep as our being. Any doing on our part will only be as deep as our being. You see that the father in this story, you hear it. I've done everything. I've tried everything. I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. You see, sometimes we can be so frustrated in this faith journey and where we're at, but I I think I asked the question, when was the last time you just paused to be in the presence of God? To get into his word, not listening to a podcast or another message, but to get into the word of God and begin to pray and seek his will and seek his heart. If you're doing for God, coming from a place of being with God. And the last one for, this is especially for my juniors and seniors in the room. You're getting ready to get out to the workplace. Am I tapping out when God is wanting me to tap in? Am I tapping out when God is wanting me to tap in? You see, I play it out as as a father of two boys. I can imagine a neighbor's looking at this father's like, hey, I hear this Jesus is coming to this community. You You should bring your son. You should bring maybe Jesus. I've heard that there's been the tales of the miraculous. I've heard that blind people are seeing. I hear that Jesus, he's multiplying fishes and loaves. Like, maybe if you bring your son. And if his, the father is as human as I, I, I imagine I would be in that moment, I'd go, man, I, I don't know if I'm ready for another disappointment. I don't know if I can handle another disappointment. I don't know if I can handle another failure. I don't know if I have the emotional capacity to handle another letdown. But yet, Instead of tapping out, this father taps in and is like, well, maybe this Jesus is different. Maybe he's different. And the doctors we've gone to and the, the people that we've seen and all these other protocols, maybe he's different. And you hear it where he's, help me in my unbelief. You see, a lot of times doubt um, will begin to knock us down and it causes us to question the goodness of God in this. I'm going to end with this story. 
Uh, growing up, uh, I'm the oldest of three boys, grew up in a ministry home uh, um, in South Minneapolis, going to church in North Minneapolis, learned really early on what a faith-based salary was. I wondered why I got more financial aid going to North Central than anybody else, and then I realized, like, oh, not everybody has taco meat every day of the week. Like, like we would just have the crock pot. It was like, you had taco salad, you had tacos, burrito. Like, it was just, we, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but my mom, dad, they love Jesus. And they, I mean, just, they would continue to go out, um, food shelves and all these different things. But I remember there was a really, a really intricate moment where going through and uh, there'd be different weeks where I'm like, dad, why are we having the same food? Or why are we having this? And he would look at me and it's like, well, the check never came in the mail. <laughs> The check that was supposed to, it just never came. And I started to sense this bitterness growing towards people of faith. Like, okay, God, where, where are you? And it all climaxed to this moment when we lost our house during the big market crash. We lost our house and I was angry. I was here at North Central. It was a pivotal moment in my faith journey because I was so mad at God. I'm supposed to be a ministry major. I was, I was mad. God, how could you? They've given up everything to serve you. That God, we are, they're, they're, we're barely making ends meet. And now you're going to let this happen. God, like how could you? How could the people that profess you to be true and you to be good, where are they? Where are you? And this doubt creeped in. I was ready to tap out. I tried to. I tried to run. But what I find about God is he's faster. It only takes one step. It might take a thousand steps away from God, but it takes one step to come back. And I stopped. And recently, my dad's 70th birthday a couple years ago, I began to, my mom put together this book of signatures and I began to look through these signatures in this book. There's people that I was angry at. People that never sent the check in my mind, Mark, thank you. Thank you for your ministry. Think because of you, this is where I'm at. Because of you, how God used you, my marriage is, our marriage is better than it's ever been. Hey, we're still following Jesus. We're pastoring these. And I began to see that in my moment when I was ready to tap out and count everybody out, my dad continued to tap in. God, you're not done. And I sat there holding this book of legacy Someone who said yes to Jesus. When I was ready to tap out, I was trying to take his hand and tap out. Like, Dad, we're done. He tapped in. And I see that in this story with his father. He was ready. He's like, had all the doubt in the world. But he tapped in. Are you tapping out when God is asking to tap in? Here's how we're just going to close today. I'm going to have everyone stand up. And I'm going to, and as I want to encourage you, I don't, I don't know how comfortable you might be with this from the balcony to the front. One of the most powerful moments and and that I could ever recall at North Central is moments where I came to the altar, just me and God. I know some of you got 12 o'clock classes. I know I got to be at one as well. All right. What I'm encouraging you to do. Can you take five minutes? Just take five minutes to step out of your seat Whatever that doubt is, whatever that fear might be, whatever, whatever, it might, whatever lie that you've believed to be true about God, whatever works that you've been trying to look at just to get this affirmation from people to make you feel like you're doing a good job, where God's asking you just to pause and to reconnect with him. 
I'm just asking for five minutes. Can you step down? Can you come down to the altar? Can you step out from the back and just begin to make this a place of returning to a spot that you should have never left? Of returning saying, God, I'm tapping in. I don't know what that looks like. The guy with the microphone just said, God wants me to tap in, so I'm up here. But just take a step. Just give God a few minutes here this morning. See what happens. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer. And when I say amen, I'm going to encourage you just to begin, like I said, just for a few minutes, just to begin to flood these altars here. Say, God, I'm tapping back in. God, here's the doubt. Here's the hurt. Here's my pain. Here's my questions. He's not scared of them. And begin to pick up all that God has to begin to tap back in to the heart of God, to tap back into God's plan for you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for every student in this space, God. Ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, God, whatever major, God, that they, whether they're undecided, switching, in the process of switching, God, wherever they're at, God, right now, whatever those doubts are, there's, there's students under the sound of my voice, God, that they found themselves at North Central University, not even in a relationship with you. But they're like, hey, I had an opportunity, I'm here, and they find themselves here in a chapel on a Tuesday morning. God, I pray that even right now you begin to speak to them. God, I pray for those students that have forgotten who you are, have forgotten what you've said. Remind them of some of those camp moments at the altar. Remind them, Lord God, of, the, of your presence. God, I pray for those that, are, that there's anxiety and stress looking ahead to the future. God, I pray that even right now you'd give them peace. God, I pray for the students, Lord God, that are here, that are undecided about their future, Lord God, with the careers and all of that. God, I just pray once again, you give them peace. And Lord, I pray that we would just tap in to your heart and your plan for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I'm gonna invite you just to come down and begin to step out of your seat just for a few minutes, just for a few minutes as you're able to. And we're just gonna begin to step into a time of worship here. And I just encourage you, even if it's for two minutes, just give God a couple minutes here this morning and just begin to tap in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.